Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host, L-A-R-R-E Brenner. How are you, Larry? Great! <laughs> Great there, buddy bear! No, I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Andy? I am great. We have a guest star that I get to introduce. I'm so excited. Great. I can't wait to meet him. Oh, well, Richard Propes is an author. He's an activist and he's an award-winning film critic based in Indianapolis and one of the country's leading disabled film journalists with an outreach that spans web, print, and broadcast outlets. He publishes The Independent Critic, which is how I got to know him, and is a founding member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association. So there's this Academy Award qualifying Heartland Film Festival, and they've established the Richard D. Probst Social Impact Award in his honor. And he's championed independent filmmakers for many years, including myself. And truly, it is an honor to have Richard with us today. Welcome, Richard. Thank you so, so very much. And that made me sound so much better than I am, but I appreciate it. Oh, I think you're terrific. So we let our guests choose the movies for this podcast. And I'm just really curious why you selected The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh from 1977. This film came out in 1977. And that was kind of right at the tail end of a very difficult part of my childhood where Mm. I didn't have a lot of safe places and I didn't have a circle, a community that I considered to be safe. And so, you know, when I watched this film, I really resonated with the idea of the hundred acre wood, you know, this place where you were safe to develop and you were safe to experience life and play and be creative and find people. And so I've always resonated with that. And, you know, I've always resonated with the idea of Pooh, who is kind of known for not being the brainiest character around, the brainiest bear. He's not the smartest bear, but he's smart, you know? And by the end of a typical episode, we get that about Winnie the Pooh. And and if you look at Pooh's back, there's a scene early in Many Adventures where he kind of comes unspooled, you know, where his right, back opens right. up. And if you know me, you know that I have spina bifida and I mm-hmm. have an open spine. So just, you know, this is a film that really feels very personal to me. And so, and it really has helped me. And if you know my activism, you also know that for many years, I've run a website honoring child victims of violence called One Million Acres. And it is Uh, very inspired by Hundred Acre Wood and my desire. I had no idea of that connection. I didn't know that. That is so cool. So that's why. So Larry, we've got some key facts. That we uh, let's before we launch into this movie, and I'm going to launch into these. So, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is the last movie released where Walt Disney had personal involvement. He produced both Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, and Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. And there were shorts that were crafted in 1966 and 1968, respectively. Uh, the Blustery Day won the 1968 Academy Award for Animated Short Film. And there's another short that was used, which is Winnie the Pooh Pays a Visit from 1971. And that's why, incidentally, I'm always amused by this. When you see Piglet at the opening when they're singing Winnie the Pooh, the animation on Piglet is very different. He looks completely different than he'll actually appear in the cartoons that were created later. Interesting. It's just something that, that happens in the stringing of these together. 
Very cool. So A.A. Milne, the author of Winnie the Pooh, began writing stories and poems about his son, Christopher Robin, and his teddy bear, which he named after Winifred, the bear living at the London Zoological Gardens, which I thought was really kind of fun. And okay, so these next things aren't really key facts, but they're really fun to me. The sound that the little bee makes is the same sound recording used in The Rescuers for Evan Rude, who I absolutely love, Evan Rude, and I hope we get to do The Rescuers sometime. Pooh's pop gun comes from the 1946 short Peter and the Wolf. And I'm willing to be set right on this, but Pooh, in the beginning, I also did a side-by-side comparison of the nursery scene in Mary Poppins with this opening nursery scene in Winnie the Pooh. I think those two sets are the same, down to the furniture, the bedspreads, and the wooden blocks. I went to take a look, because you had brought this up to me, Andy, and I can't see a difference other than, of course, the presence of the Winnie the Pooh dolls in books. Uh, other exactly. Than that, other than that, I mean, could it be just they use the same set design? I guess, but it looks the same. It looks like they went to the props department and said, okay, we need an English nursery, and they grabbed the stuff. So that is what I think to be true. Which is interesting to me because they tried so hard in some ways to Americanize it. Initially, you know, for example, you know, adding gopher was to Americanize it. And so, and yet they clearly borrowed from, you know, Mary Poppins. I think that's right. Okay, so let's get to the Manish Tana. Uh, and for those of you listening at home, the Manish Tana it opens up uh, the four questions of Passover, where we ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And when, we, when we're talking about that with the movie, the question that I always ask is, why do we open the movie where we open it? Sometimes the answer to that question is related to the inciting incident, but it isn't always. And in this particular movie, you know, inciting incident is going to be a little difficult to identify anyway, which we'll talk about in a second. But why do we start this movie, Andy and Richard, where we start it? Well, we have to meet Pooh, right? I mean, the opening vignette tells us exactly who Pooh is. He's a tubby little cubby, all stuffed with fluff. He can't be deterred from his quest for honey. He's a bear of very little brain. And his scheme to satisfy his hunger is, which is constant, seems like, is just, it's, I mean, the scheme is delicious in and of itself. I think that's true. What I'm trying to think of really here, though, Uh, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't always do this with movies, is there is a version of this movie that is a little less faithful to the books and arguably could begin with Christopher Robin receiving Winnie the Pooh as a present. You know, like getting it, getting it from in some way and the creation of the relationship, the friendship between Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh. And I'm not saying the movie would be better if it did that. In fact, in fact, I don't think it would be. I don't think we need it. But you could you could see a version of the movie that started there, right? Yeah, I think so. I think you could, because and I think that would make Christopher Robin more of a central character from the beginning, maybe even the protagonist, Yeah, if you were going to choose to do that. But I think in this choice, Pooh, and we'll talk about protagonists in a little while, but Pooh's definitely the opening protagonist of this story. And I don't think we need it. I don't I, I think our entry to the world, like if we did that, it reminds us that these are just toys. They're just dolls. Don't take you know, like the idea here is the it would make the hundred acre woods not real rather than in, in a different way, I think. So I think all of that speaks to why we start where we start. Like that whole first cartoon 
uh, with the honey tree is exposition. Like the first 20 minutes of this movie, I mean, even before, like you could say it has an inciting incident. The inciting incident is Pooh is hungry. I, I have to imagine Pooh is hungry every day. It's not a particularly strong <laughs> inciting incident. Right. But the idea here is let's meet Pooh. Let's meet, you know, a couple of other characters. Let's really set our tone before we can get to the real stories that are going to be coming a little bit later. Okay. That works for me. You know, for me, there's this line very early on where the narrator goes, like most small boys, Christopher Robin has toy animals to play with, and they all live together in a wonderful world of make-believe. And I, I just think that sets a remarkable tone for everything else that unfolds in terms of establishing that this is, you know, core for Christopher Robin and that there is this vision of creating a world here. You know, that the Hundred Acre Wood is a universe or a, you know, a community. And it's just, it's a simple line. And it's funny, I, I don't even always notice it, but I, I, I was watching again this morning and I was just like, it's really kind of a quietly profound line. Yeah. There's a lot of quiet profoundness to this movie, I think. I'm going to try to move us through structure much more quickly than we normally do. Because, I, again, this is a, you know, the, the book, World of Pooh, uh, is not one extended story that goes through it. It, like the movie, is, is structured in this book chapter section. The, there's a story, the story ends, we pick up with another story with the same set of characters for the most part. So normally I would say, what's the inciting incident? What's the rising action? Where is the climax of this movie? And I don't know that this movie necessarily does any of that because it's just telling short stories. Well, I would dis I might disagree, but go ahead. No, so but I, <laughs> Andy, feel free to disagree. But I would say I would say like if I said to you, what is the inciting incident of this movie? For me, the thing that disrupts the status quo more than anything else in this movie is. Tigger moves into the Hundred Acre Woods somewhere around minute 47 of the movie. <laughs> right. Definitely at the midpoint. At the midpoint, we get Tigger. Yeah. And that is very late for what we would consider your traditional inciting incident to a movie. Oh, for sure. For sure. But if you want, we can do it that way. But I, I'm just saying each of these sections, I think, has an inciting incident, and each of them comes to a climax. And I think the key here is that the inciting incidents and their respective climaxes feed into the next sequences and progressively heighten the tension. So it's almost a blip to, okay, well, it's almost like these new bits of rising action. So the climax is just sort of a, a temporary climax until we get to the big thing because we're always asking new dramatic questions. In the first section, you know, we have P a bee comes into Pooh's house and that's almost the inciting incident, alerting him to the hope of a honey tree. And so then we're going, okay, well, will Pooh get this honey? Is he going to be able to pull it off that he's a rain cloud? And, you know, is he going to, is this scheme going to work? And of course we know it's not going to work. We kind of hope it works, but it doesn't. Right. And then the second, Pooh shows up to Rabbit's house for lunch and gets himself stuck in Rabbit's back door. Will Pooh get out of the hole, right? And of course, we know he's going to get out of the hole, and it's going to be this dramatic 
thing. It's going to be this big thing. And and also, will he learn anything from it? And of course, he doesn't, right? And the third, we have the east wind trading places with the west wind. And we have the residents of the 100-acre wood. And they have to deal with the wind and their domiciles, right? So we're asking, is the 100-acre wood safe and secure? And the truth is, it may not be safe in terms of the wind, but it is safe in terms of the community, right? They can all trust one another, which is really what matters. And I mean, it's kind of like, this is what matters. The wood itself isn't the isn't that magical. What makes it magical are the people in it. And then in the fourth, we have Tigger going, oh, is it really safe and secure? Because Tigger's going to ruin Rabbit's garden, right? And now is Tigger friend or foe? And so now it's, can, well, can the friends keep it together and still be true to themselves? And of course, the climax there is that Rabbit allows Tigger to be Tigger, and he has to admit that Pooh just has to be Pooh. And so then the falling action would be the ending, which I think would have to be really hard because Walt Disney had passed away. And the reason this movie got made at all is because he's pioneered all this animated filmmaking years prior. And there's this line that says, promise you won't forget me, which I know, which I'm tearing up just saying it. So, oh, it's great. Promise you won't forget me, which is really kind of everything. That's really what it boils down to here in, in this. So I think that I think it's genius in the way these shorts and feature or featurettes or whatever we want to call them vignettes are linked together. But I think they get progressively bigger. Like the questions, the dramatic questions get bigger and bigger as we go until it's, you know, promise you won't forget me. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I mean, part of this is I I think this is the perfect first Disney movie to show your kids. Oh, no doubt. No question. And when I rewatched it, I rewatched it with my youngest son. My youngest son is 11 and he still loved it. And he still loved the, the fact that it was a book. The structure that it was a book that you could see the words on the page and you could read it, that they do some clever things with Tigger jumping out of the book and turning the page sideways or Pooh or Pooh being like his front end is on this page, but his back end <laughs> is on this page. It just stru- I mean, structurally, as it, I, it's not a critique of the plot of this movie, I think, for me to say I don't want to do it traditional structure wise, because I right. think this is a great example of how when you make structure your own it can work out magically. They really just, this was thoughtfully done with the tools that they had at hand. And I do think the end result is magic. For me, this is one of the films where Disney really did a nice job of adapting the Milne voice, the A.A. Milne voice. I felt like, yes, you, you know, you've got the Disney touches in the film, but this really feels to me like the book. I went back to the book as I was watching it, even this morning, you know, and I'm now a 50 plus year old guy and I'm still transported back. Still love the book here, too. I read it to both my kids, would read it for myself again. But since you're bringing it up, maybe we transition to characters, because the first one I want to talk about is the narrator. Let's do it. Who uh, who narrates this in a completely different way from any Disney narrator we've ever seen before. Andy, you, who was the narrator? Sebastian Cabot. And he also plays Lord Ector in The uh, Sword in the Stone. So all of these characters we've seen before, in, and they're definitely current to either Disney or family programming. So it's kind of interesting. It's English, 
but it's also playful, right? He's open to the possibility of magic, but at the same time, it's it's kind of he's kind of straight laced, you know? Yeah. For me, what's most interesting here, as opposed to any other Disney narrator, this is a narrator who loves his characters. And the love is just clear from the beginning of the movie. He's not neutral. He is completely on the character's sides. He loves Tigger, but he also loves Rabbit. And when when he's doing the conflict between each of them, is there some judging? Yes, there's some judging. (laughs) But in the end, he loves them both. He loves Pooh. He loves Piglet. He loves Owl. He loves all of them so much. And it makes it makes this movie so safe to be in. Mm. No one really thinks about the narrator. No one will ever say the narrator is their favorite character from Winnie the Pooh. But <laughs> underrated, does not overplay what he's supposed to be doing. But yeah, he'll get involved in the story. He's the one who'll talk Tigger down from the tree. No problem. Like he's like, look, look, look. I'm just gonna get involved. Happy ending. I gotta, I gotta break some rules here, but I'm gonna do it. And I love how they do that. I love how they actualize that. And again, you know, like you say, the the vocal work, listening to him as he does that, it's just like, wow. I mean, it's just sublime use of narration. And Cabot, oh, amazing work to me. He's so great. It's an adult with an adult's voice, and he's the one who actually turns the pages, right? Yes. So let's see what's going on here. Let's let's. Oh, where am I? Oh, what's going on? And Pooh's like, am I in it? You know, I mean, it's, and the and characters I, know him. Yes, the they do. Know him and talk to him. Pooh's like, do we really have to move to the next chapter? Because I'm eating some honey here. And this is pretty great. <laughs> oh, let's talk about Winnie the Pooh. So Sterling Holloway is uh, definitely a Disney favorite. Um, Dumbo Stork. He's uh, the narrator himself and Peter and the Wolf. And we hear Sterling Holloway. Gosh, if you had uh, Disney long playing records in the 1970s, you heard Sterling Holloway read uh, to you as a growing. I mean, when I hear Sterling Holloway, I think of, uh, you know, Disney. Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. Ka uh, Ka the Python from the Jungle Book. Just just uh, an immense. I mean, it's all the same voice, but. Yep. (laughs) You can do so much with that voice. It's so great. That's right. That's right. How do you not love Winnie the Pooh? It's really hard to not. Definitely flawed. <laughs> but he's so he's so innately lovable. You know, if we if we want to get all highfalutin, we could say that that and, and people have made this point before that Winnie the Pooh is sort of the simple Buddha of like understanding, like pursuing your heart's desire, living in the moment, experiencing what's present now, not not taking baggage with him as he goes through. I love Pooh Bear. Well, and, you know, and Holloway won a Grammy for, you know, the, for Winnie the Pooh and Tigger too, which I also, I mean, I think it again speaks to the incredible, I mean, this is Academy level work. This is Grammy level work. And I, I think Pooh was probably one of the first where I realized there was this whole community of people who really were just voice actors, you know? And, and here's, you know, Holloway's such a great example of someone who had hundreds of credits, you know, played Pooh for all those years, and it's just amazing to me. And he, 
he definitely brings Pooh to life. So, uh, like he's li- like Pooh is literal. Um, he lives under the name of Sanders, right? <laughs> he's he's got a strong ego. He's got a Pooh clock, which I think I never noticed that before this viewing. I mean, he loves the mirror, but yeah, he's still humble, right? He calls himself a bear of very little brain. He's got a love hate relationship with bees. So there's a picture of a bee framed on his wall. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, But at the same time, he has to figure out how to outsmart them, which he never does because bees are smarter than he is. I realized that for this to work, for this conversation to work, I have to fully embrace my role as the jerk of this podcast (laughs) and let you you guys be poo defenders while I I hold his feet to the fire. (laughs) All right. I'm going to throw out that Winnie the Pooh is selfish. That he ah. is a thief who steals from bees. I will point out that <laughs> Winnie the Pooh is a bad house guest taking advantage oh, he's of terrible. poor he's rabbit. Terrible. <laughs> uh, accepts praise for things he did not really do. You rescued Piglet. He did not. <laughs> he did not. That bear just wants some cake. They washed up on the shore at the same time. Who did nothing? <laughs> he wanted a hero party, and what more? <laughs> like, there's nothing we wrong. All with want a hero we party. all want a hero party. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Pooh is a monster, and and we are bad people for enabling him. Are you saying we need a Pooh horror oh. film? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Bad morals. No, bad morals. No. Movie should be banned. <laughs> Teaching children oh my about goodness. gluttony. You gluttony. know what? If we're gonna win, if we're gonna ban Winnie the Pooh, why do we have this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, of all the films we're gonna look at, this is literally the least, the least controversial. I, I, no, uh, let, let's do this this way. Next monster on our list, Christopher Robin. <laughs> Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't just level poo like that and not expect a comeback. He doesn't really learn lessons. This is true. He is not socially self-aware and imposes on Rabbit's generosity. This is true. But he's proud of his body and he loves his friends. And when and he, he even tries to get Piglet to not be co- codependent. And he finally says, you shall live with me, won't you, Piglet? And so the, I can't believe yeah. Piglet would even consider that, though. I mean, come anyway. Pooh po would be a lousy roommate. <laughs> He'd be the worst. <laughs> the literal worst. But, you know, Piglet is codependent, so there you go. All right, Christopher Robin, let's go on. <laughs> so, Christopher Robin, he, there is a world in which you could make Christopher Robin the protagonist of this movie. But yes. he, he's not. He's... He's in it at the beginning, and he sort of comes back around at the end. He reminds me more of Andy in Toy Story than he does like an actual character that we're supposed to be invested in. We love Christopher Robin because Pooh and his friends love Christopher Robin. And Christopher Robin has a sweet voice, and I I love him with the umbrella going, tut, tut, it looks like rain. I do enjoy that. But there's not much there to explore other than his love for Pooh and his his other dolls. Well, he assists the friends, right? But he also plays off of their ideas, which if he is a child that's playing, they're really his ideas. 
right? So if these are if these are stuffed animals that he's playing with, there may be a narrator to the story, but the narrator's almost watching what Christopher Robin is inventing through these characters. It's kind of meta, sorry, but... Well, if you want to go this way, Andy, I will point out that I have a longstanding theory that this movie is the exact same movie as Inside Out, which is going to come decades later. If you take the premise that all of the Pooh characters are aspects of Christopher Robin's mind, uh, and it's a child trying to figure out who he is, and these are the various different voices, then all of the characters are Christopher Robin, really. Oh, that's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Pooh is his his appetite, his id to it to a degree. Right. Yeah. You know, Eeyore is his anxieties and his depression. Tigger is his enthusiasm. You could make that case. But but I don't know that it's meant to be analyzed in that way. I kind of feel like Christopher Robin is playing with the game that Christopher Robin is really playing at is being the parent. Being an Ah, being the person to teach others. It's like when you go to kindergarten and you come home and your younger sister goes to nursery school and you say, now let's play teacher. Right? Right. Right. This is a world in which he has the most authority, the most leadership, is the most knowledgeable, where he gets to be the expert. Mm. And he hasn't even gone to school yet. Right. Because he doesn't do that till the end. Yeah. There's a world in which Christopher Robin going to school is the inciting incident of this, right? Because, like, like maybe, like, as he's preparing to go to school, he's created this world to, in some way, get him to that place where he's ready to go. Mm. I don't, I, I can't imagine anybody writing this actually thought that. But, hey, you know, in art, the interpretation is is allowed by the audience. That's well, right. how much of that is Disney and how For much sure. of that is Milne? I mean, it's... It's hard to distinguish between the voices. And I, I and again, Richard, it goes back to what you said earlier in that it really this is a really pretty faithful adaptation to the point that we don't always see like if you didn't know like now, right? If you if you're watching it in 1977, you know that this is a Disney movie. But if you're watching it now, you might not. No, I I think the animation has held up very well, too. Right. Still beautiful. I was enchanted this morning. I mean, honestly, it was just like, you know, it's, you know, I've had a fairly rough week and I I was like watching Pooh this morning. I was like, oh, the world is great. Yeah, exactly. In that world, everything's, everything is okay. Well, and you, and when you think when this film was, you know, made, because most of these shorts were like the late sixties and even as a country, we were shifting. You know, from, you know, kind of the peace of the 50s to a more turbulent time. And then you have Pooh dropped into the universe. and Right. It's peace and harmony. But at the same time, there's a, you know, there's a safety part of it. Whereas the world was not, the, the world in 1968 was not safe. Right. And so when Pooh arrives on the scene, it's like everybody gets a moment to exhale. So let's talk about Piglet. I love Piglet. John Fiedler, who is also the voice of Rudy, who's the man who got thrown out of the window by Cusco's guards in The Emperor's New Groove. But Piglet's a worrier, right? Piglet is fear. Piglet is nervous. Piglet Piglet is timid. Uh, He's a very small animal, Andy. What's he supposed to do? Right, he is the he's the tiniest. He's even tinier than Rue. He's super super small, and he's also always eternally a child. 
So piglets all he piglet never grows into a full pig, right? He's yes. always he always He's remains. A a, yes, you're correct. He always remains a child. Fun fact about Fiedler: he was the psych patient on the Bob Newhart show. Remember, yes. Mr. Peterson? Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy, he's a character actor who has an, an outstanding he career. He really does. Just a super, super, yeah, for sure. Piglet Piglet is just, there is something about Piglet that makes you just want to go into the movie and take care of him. Yes. You know, you know, more so than I feel that way about Pooh. It's, I think there's something just heroic in Piglet's day-to-day life. Tackle like seeing challenges where other people don't see challenges and embracing them independently and doing his best. But, you know, everybody else notices it's a windy day. But for Piglet, there's a good chance he will be swept away in the breeze. Like everything is more dangerous to him. And yet he's independently doing the work. Mm, I don't mind that the leaves are leaving, but the leaves that are coming. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I love that line. It's so, it's a great line. And he's, you know, Piglet's also generous to a fault. He gives his house up to Owl so as not to hurt Eeyore's feelings and his hard work because Eeyore takes this initiative to go find a house for Owl. And even when Pooh tells him to tell the truth, he doesn't, right? Nope. Because it's an because unlike Pooh's false heroism, which is to take credit for things you have not done, Piglet understands true hero heroes don't actually take credit, aren't concerned about the glory, right. aren't concerned about having a hero party. They just make sacrifices, something that gluttonous, selfish bear is incapable of understanding. Uh, but until, then Pooh, but Pooh says what? <laughs> until. He is inspired by Piglet's greatness mm. to make us a, a small accommodation of his own. And you shall live with me. So I, but I also think that Piglet, it's, you said something about how we always want to take care of Piglet and we see him and we, I mean, all these things are happening to him. He's getting blown away. He's, people think, I mean, he's, he's a kite. He's getting drowned out of his house. And I think Piglet's secretly been sort of fearful to move out of his comfort zone and maybe ask for help he needs, right? And even though it's unkind in the way that all this happens for Owl to sort of take it over his house, it might be the push that he's needed to actually live with a friend. Because I think he and Pooh make a good team. For sure. Piglet Piglet is aware of things that Pooh is not. And it... Pooh's immunity to fear helps Piglet. There's definitely a symbiotic relationship between the two of them. I don't know that Pooh gets that he's in danger in Owl's house, but Piglet knows. <laughs> but by the same token, when Piglet is overwhelmed by being lost in the woods, Pooh is not afraid and, and can give him the courage to take a risk to go home. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's a healthy friendship where, where, two, where two people, when together become better. I'll, right. I'll go with that. Okay. Okay. Cool. What's amazing to me and what I can't fathom is that they contemplated making this film without him. And I can't imagine this film without Piglet because original. And, and if you look the first, the first episode, it doesn't have Piglet. Gopher was right. going to be the replacement. And then we see Piglet come back in. And of course, because we need Piglet. Piglet is like the world. 
Yeah. He's the heart of this movie. And and maybe makes the, you know, he makes ultimate sacrifices. And he, even though you're, you know, the, even though you're tiny or you seem insignificant, you can really make a huge difference, right? When, I mean, we can talk about Owl in a minute because Larry and I have different feelings about Owl. I'm sure I can just sense it. (laughs) I can just sense it. But yeah, I, I think you're right. What about Eeyore? Which, by the way, is Eeyore's voiced by Ralph Wright, who was a Disney animator who really was Eeyore, apparently. I mean, they... Not they, that yeah. I'm complaining, but you knocked <laughs> my house over again. Right. So Eeyore, yeah. uh, Eeyore well, is a very interesting character to have to deal with in an animated series because he's such a downer, right? Like, he's such a voice of despair, in this movie that is otherwise bright and happy, I'm glad he's there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying make the movie without Eeyore. But there is there is this feeling of outsideriness to him, right? Mm. Why do all the other animals have houses, but he's got his sticks? Would Christopher Robin not... Why is, of all people, Eeyore the one looking for a house for Owl when Eeyore doesn't have a house, right? No one's ever looked for a house for Eeyore. Mm. What's going? Oh God, I'm I'm bumming myself out now. <laughs> What's going on there with Eeyore? Do you guys think he really is Murphy's Law personified? Right? Yeah, you know. And but at the same time, he's sort of he's sort of a problem solver. He takes his tail to Christopher Robin. He knows how to build his own house, even though it may not last. And he what, goes but to what find I like a, is a he doesn't house. have to change. He's part of this community. I don't think anybody can imagine the Hundred Acre Wood without Eeyore. I mean, I can't. No, no? I mean he's he's part of this community, and yet he's always depressed. Mm. He's always down. And yet we have this double party for Pooh and Piglet. Uh, Pooh for Pooh for his fraud and Piglet for his heroism in giving up the house. It doesn't become a triple hero party where Eeyore for find for ostensibly finding a house for Owl. It's because is, he stole is, the is house. honored in some sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> well, or Eeyore, do you get the sense that Eeyore really doesn't want the limelight ever? And that the friends sort of know that? I mean, it could be. It could be that he's uncomfortable with attention. He's uncomfortable with praise. That he's working behind the scenes to make sure the story is happy. There is a world in which, and uh, this is... This just occurred to me now, so I haven't thought it out. If you found out at the end of the movie that Eeyore was the narrator who loves everybody so much, I would just be like, oh my gosh, that's how he knows everything. Mm, uh, not the intent of the movie. And I just, I just made that up. But it would be a great reveal, I think. I think. I lost my twist. tail. Yeah. Like, you know. I still think he's got one of the best lines. Uh, it's not much of a tail, but I'm sort of attached to it. I love oh, that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. for sure. I can't even say it without laughing. All right. Let's go to Rue, who is Clint Howard, who's the brother, younger brother of Ron Howard. Um, there's a lot of Andy Griffith show coming up here uh, with some of these voices. So uh, a lot. I love Clint Howard, for the record. And, yeah. and he made this when he was like seven. It was his second credit. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yes, I looked that up. I did not know that. <laughs> I will openly admit I looked no. that up. I was like, how did he do that voice? He's cute and 
He was seven. That's how he did. Well, that he's voice. cute. Yeah, he's cute and sweet, and he loves everyone. And Rue's innocent, but he's also sort of an adventurer, right? He's willing to try new things. And, and Rue, I think, of all of them, sees people as greater than they are. Uh, particularly Tigger, there's a sort of hero worship there. When when Tigger says things about himself, you get the sense that the other characters are all skeptical, but that Rue is the one who believes. Oh yeah. And, and it's weird because Rue is a child among children, right? Like, right. we wouldn't say that Pooh is a grown-up or Piglet's a grown-up. I think arguably we could make that case for Owl, Rabbit, and Kanga. But Rue is the childest, more of a child than even Piglet is, right? I think if you're a kid watching this movie, you identify with Piglet and Rue maybe more than anybody else. And, and, and if you want to be one of those two people, you want to be Rue. Rue has fun. Rue plays game. Yeah. Rue has fear, whereas Piglet is all fear. The scene where they get he gets stuck, you know, in the tree with um, Tigger. I love that scene. I'd forgotten how much I love that scene. It's and Rue is just a joy in that scene. Well, he's he is completely unafraid that he's stuck in a tree, right? I mean, this is just part of the joy of it. It's the best day of my life, right? He's kind of like that in the book. At one point, he falls in the river, and then he accidentally falls in the river three more times because it's fun. (laughs) Oh, we've had a Rue around here. I don't know about you, Larry. I've got a Rue. Oh, okay. Kanga, Barbara Luddy, she's Meriwether in Sleeping Beauty. She is, I'm going to say, she is just grossly underused in this film. And in the books. And in the books, too. She she is there. She is feminine. She is motherly. But she doesn't have an identity outside of that either. Andy, I know I'm upsetting you on this, but but like, what does Kanga do all day while everybody else is playing? Uh, yeah, I mean, she does all the work, right? As mothers do in 1970s, as we talked about in uh, Freaky Friday, right? Yeah, she's, I think this is, I think if this movie were made today, we would probably see more female voices for sure. There is one chapter in the book, which never made it into the movie, where Kanga is displayed as having a personality outside of being a mother. And uh, it's when uh, Rabbit is threatened by Kanga and Rue being there. So they kidnap Rue and they put Piglet in Kanga's pouch instead. Kanga immediately cottons to what's going on, realizes Rue is in no real danger, and then tortures Piglet. Uh, not, not, not brutally torturing Piglet, but like gives him a bath and makes him have his medicine. And Piglet's like, um. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. Controversial question. This is what our audience wants to know. Does Tigger have a thing for Kanga? Is he what? is he crushing on Kanga? I guess I never thought of it, but you know, he does take her little boy out and he calls her Miss Kanga ma'am, and while everybody else, everybody else he bounces when he meets them, he does not dare bounce Kanga. He holds himself back and he's like, "Oh shucks, Miss Kanga ma'am, can Rue come out and play?" Tigger is totally in love with her. My mouth is open. I'm just sort of thinking this through. So this is a love story now, too. I think it is. I think Tigger Tigger taking Rue out, part of that is like, I want to prove I'll be a good stepdad. I can provide for you, Kanga. Oh, wow. We can make it work. They can bounce happily ever after. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Yes, Larry, you can have it. 
Great. Tigger and Kanga together together at last. Okay. Tigger, let's talk about him. Tigger major Paul Winchell, uh Boomer in the the he's the woodpecker in Fox and the Hound. Also lots of voice work for a lot of not just Disney. But what do we think about Tigger? Monster. Do you think Tigger's an I'm sorry? <laughs> he's what? Tigger is he's a, a monster. Oh, agree. I'm gonna be is, J. Jonah Jameson and I'm gonna be like Tigger, threat or menace. <laughs> Get me pictures of Tigger. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, he's the only one that seems to antagonize anybody, and he certainly—I mean, I mean, other than Pooh, who could also be an antagonist to Rabbit. I mean, Tigger definitely ups the ante. Tigger even says, "Let me go bounce old long ears." <laughs> it is—it is not just enthusiasm; it's calculated, deliberate. As a kid, I loved Tigger. I, I still love Tigger. I'm 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 pretending here. But as an adult, looking at Tigger bouncing rabbit, I feel it's not as funny as when I was a kid. It's definitely really slapsticky, isn't it? Yeah, and even Piglet, when, when Rabbit has a meeting, Piglet says, I, I don't really want to be bounced, right? Like right. Tigger does need to learn about boundaries a little bit. Mm, mm. I think that's kinder. I think that's a kinder interpretation than to say he's villainous, which is what I was I was saying earlier. I, I didn't really mean it, audience, that's already abandoned me. Well, and he scares Pooh to death when it comes to heffalumps and woozles, right? So, and he, you know, he comes into, you know, comes into Pooh's house at night. I mean, he's a little, he's a little scary. Bigger does deserve to be humbled. I, Rabbit yes. is wrong to play God on this and, and take it upon himself to humble Tigger. But but really, Tigger is a braggart. Tigger, Tigger you know, doesn't think Bragging. about... Bragging? That's what Tiggers do best. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't think about other people's feelings too much, except maybe Kanga's. I, I, I don't know. Like, he's enthusiasm, but he is enthusiasm run amok. Yes. So I think, yeah, whereas he's de- he definitely, but he arrives at the midpoint of this movie, ah, which is hard. But at the same time, it's part of that rising. It's part of the rising action, I think. If my theory holds that it's just sort of this calculated, all right, let's get the exposition out of the way. And then we'll really, if you're really going to rev things up, you bring Tigger in, right? Yes, which is why I could make a case for his arrival being the inciting incident here. Mm. Interesting. I'd prefer more oh. Kanga and less Tigger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. <laughs> for sure. I think Kanga could be an interesting voice to Rabbit, who we're going to talk about here in a minute. Rabbit is all, you know, practical. Rabbit is played by uh, Junius Matthews, who was Archimedes the Owl in The Sword and the Stone. Rabbit is practical, no nonsense, devoted to um, order has kind of a firm grasp of justice. But at the same time, Rabbit also allows other people to walk, all, allows Pooh to walk all over him. But I, I mean, I have to say this about Rabbit. I have to say this about Rabbit. I love Rabbit. Rabbit is my absolute favorite. And I'm Rabbit, you know? Oh? <laughs> I am aware. I am aware when people are taking advantage of me. And I'm too polite to say it, but it festers sometimes, you know? Um, I, I get it. I get it when everybody else... Rabbit does real work all day long in the garden. Uh, and he feeds the community when they need food. And, like, the idea that Tigger's going to go in there and trample his garden 
it's just not right. It's just not fair. I I connect to Rabbit. And Rabbit is hysterical. Rabbit is funny without funny. realizing he's funny. When he takes Pooh's butt to turn it into art, when he makes it into a moose head, it's so great. And at some point, it's a recliner, right? I mean, it's so fun. So fun. Because uh, he makes the shelf. He's like, that's not bad. That's not <laughs> bad at all. A little splash of color. But by the same token, if it wasn't, they need Rabbit. If it wasn't for right. Rabbit, Gopher would give give Pooh some honey and, and keep Pooh stuck there forever. Sometimes you just need, like, if I was going to say any of these characters, if we're saying they're all part of Christopher Robin's mind, I would say that Rabbit is the super ego. Right? Oh, for sure. The one yes. who knows right from wrong, the one who tries to order the chaos, the part of the child that is the hardest part to develop. Because children don't necessarily make connections that way. And so maybe that's why Rabbit's voice is drowned in the chaos of everybody else. Because that voice, as we grow up, our rabbits get a little louder. Uh, and right right now, uh, Rabbit's still developing. I think Tigger thinks Rabbit is his best friend. What do you guys think? I think you're trying too hard to hook hook up Tigger. I mean, you've got him a girlfriend. Now you've got him a best friend. <laughs> I think Tigger thinks everybody loves him. And, oh, for and, sure. True. And I, yeah. I think he believes Rabbit loves it when he's being bounced. I think he's like, you know what Rabbit needs today? He needs to be bounced. If you were to do, to do an odd couple style comedy, it would be mm, Rabbit and Tigger. For sure. And Rabbit would be the one saying, it's not pasta, it's linguine. It's Felix <laughs> Anthem. Right. They're a comedy right. duo. They are. I'm like, I'm, we exist to make Richard laugh. I love it. And watching Richard is in hysterics. But like Winnie the Pooh. So I think I think Tigger is the worst parts of Winnie the Pooh, like exponentially. Like it's he's exponentially worse. That strong ego that we talked about. The fact that he's not socially self-aware. And but he doesn't what Tigger doesn't seem to have is that. And that Tigger learns, I think, throughout this film is that he really does need he needs to be himself, but just maybe be aware of other people and what they need. You know, I'm not sure Pooh ever learns that completely, but Tigger certainly does. I mean, the second half of the movie really hinges on the rabbit Tigger relationship more than it has any connection to Pooh. That dynamic is the conflict for the whole second half of the movie. Is will Rabbit and Tigger be able to coexist in the woods? Will they come to terms? Will they understand each other better? Will they realize that they need one another? I think there's something there, which which is funny because Pooh has nothing to do with it. Pooh's just along for the ride. By by the end of the movie, Pooh is definitely overshadowed by the conflict between between Rabbit and Tigger. Yeah, I think this is a world where we get to again spend a little time with everyone and. We spend a whole lot of time with Pooh in the beginning. I don't know that if we spent that much time with Pooh throughout, if it would hold everybody's attention like this does, you know, the bouncing. We're literally bouncing around, right? Pooh's arc is more or less done once he invites Piglet to live with him. And then yeah. the movie continues. Right, right. To, to finish up Tigger's arc. And then, right. and then come back to Pooh and Christopher Robin at the end. Let's talk about Owl. He's... Hal Smith, who is also Otis the Town Drunk on the Andy Griffith Show. I don't know if you knew that. I do, too. He's sort of an egghead. 
And am I, I may be wrong. He's sort of a daughtered in this. I mean, he's sort of uh, getting a little senile, maybe stuck in the past. I mean, Owl doesn't seem to grasp the severity of what it means to lose his home. He just grabs his rocking chair and starts rocking again. So it's like, oh, and so, but who, I mean, Eeyore notices it because Eeyore knows what it's like to lose a home. And so then Eeyore goes to help him out, which I think is actually pretty beautiful. I will throw out, Andy, that your interpretation works for the movie just perfectly. I am heavily (laughs) influenced by the books and I have trouble seeing, I have trouble seeing Owl any other way than, than he is in the book, which is he is a fraud. (laughs) He is a fraud and he is a liar. And one day everyone in the hundred acre woods is going to see him for what he is. And on that day, Rabbit and I are going to pull out a couple of glasses of carrot mimosas and we're going <laughs> to clink them together and drink at, at what happens to Owl pariah forever. Because <laughs> I believe that Owl puts on a show of not like pretending not to know things. Oh, was, Eeyore, was this your tale? It's my new I had no idea this thing that clearly looks like a tail looks like this. Owl pretends to a literacy that he doesn't have. He will tell other people how to spell things, but doesn't. He will spell his own name W O L. They all believe him to be educated. I don't believe that to be true. He's just interested in talking and and hearing his own voice. And it doesn't matter that Winnie the Pooh has fallen asleep. It, it's all about Owl's experience. And I will say this. He knows damn well that's Piglet's house. <laughs> he knows it. And he t- it is there's no way he doesn't know it. Everything is Piglet-sized mm. in there. Eeyore might not know it, but I was like, great, I'll just take this house. Piglet's there crying, like, yeah, I guess I can have it. And I was like, yes, I guess I can. <laughs> Monster. Monster <laughs> of a bird. Most owls are, though. Oh, sure. I mean, he's a predator, ah, right? Yeah, yeah, they're predators. I mean, you know, it's true to Owl. No. I don't know. I I think, I I do think Owl thinks more of himself, more high. I will give you that he thinks a little more highly of himself than maybe he should in terms of being educated. But I think he really is sort of stuck. And, and maybe he doesn't know that it's Piglet's house. I mean, that's the only thing that I can... Because of his senility, because of his, oh, well, where was I? I mean, his house is rocking back and forth to the point where the the furniture is sliding around and he is completely lost in his own his own world. So yours is the much kinder interpretation and yours is mm-hmm. probably closer to the filmmaker's intentions. <laughs> but one day your eyes will be opened, Andy, as oh, mine have been. <laughs> and I will try not to tell you I told you so. <laughs> okay <laughs> that's okay i will i look forward to, may that day come all right gopher howard morris is ernest t bass from the andy griffiths <laughs> that's right it's me it's me it's ernest t that used so to be one of my pickup lines no, <laughs> no surprise i'm 50 and single Sir, huh i love it he tells everyone that he's an expert and then does absolutely nothing to help. 
See, I think if we're going to have a villain in this story, it's going to be Gopher. He tells everybody he's an expert. Oh, we can do this. We can do that to get Pooh out. But he plays on the, you know, he's sort of that. And it's a tired construction worker trope of like, oh, this is how long this is going to take. But then it never, never really manifests. His best advice, I think, is to tell the narrator to turn the page. (laughs) Which... Which makes Pooh land where he really wants to be, which is a honey tree, right? I, my, think that's my, what, I think that's what we get from Gopher. My favorite line from Gopher is, though, I'm not in the book, you know, where he constantly <laughs> refers to the fact that he's not from the source material. It's like that. a play on where the kids won't get it, but the adults who've read Winnie the Pooh all know what Gopher's talking about there. Every time he says it, I'm not in the book, you know, even to the point where Pooh goes, well, you know, he's not in the book. Like, oh, you know, he didn't get Pooh free. Well, of course he didn't. He's not in the book. I love that every time he falls down the hole, I laugh when he's not looking where he's going and he steps into the hole and you hear, "Ah!" it gets me every time the whistling through his teeth bothers me a little bit. Like, like I don't, a lot, a little bit of that goes a very long way, but, but still I enjoy him. But it's not a Tigger level bother. No, no, not at all. (laughs) Oh, bother. Oh, bother. (laughs) I don't know. Right. Wait, what's interesting to me, though, is, again, you know, that Gopher was added to, you know, Americanize it somewhat or to make it more appealing to American audiences. And I don't see anything in Gopher that, to me, Americanizes it in any way. I mean, I don't I don't. And maybe I'm just, you know, he's a loafer. He's a loafer with a lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not like other how more than, American does that be? You know, that's pretty American. Okay, you got a point there. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, which really does come with a protagonist with some British sensibilities. Not not that the whole movie has it, although maybe the movie could use a little bit more of it. There's nothing. There's nothing really about the Winnie the Pooh story that that is. I mean, its its author is British, uh, but it's not. It the most of the Winnie the Pooh characters are are American accented. Right, owl isn't, but but uh, other than that, you know, like, do you think kids watch this and think of think of England? I don't, I don't think that they do. I don't think so. So I don't know what Gopher's needed to do. I think you're right, Richard. I I think Gopher's not needed for for the role that they're ha- I don't know what they're worried about. Music. Let's talk about music. Uh, the Sher- let's talk about it. The Sherman Brothers. Um, maybe it's because I am of a certain age, but when I think of Disney music, I definitely think of the Sherman Brothers' work. The songs are all really kind of ballads that tell us where we are, what our character's about, uh, what's happening in the scene. They're super catchy, memorable. All of these songs are perfect sticky earworms. I, if you haven't had one of these and you're stuck in your head, you know, you <laughs> you aren't living so, yeah, but I love them. I mean, I think every single one of these songs works. I have been singing Little Black Rain Cloud all I week after I watching know, it. me too, me too. Which is not the, not the song that I think of the most, but when it's, it's the song I always discover when I watch the movie and I'm reminded of. That moment when Winnie the Pooh sticks his hand in his mouth with the honey and the bees... And he realizes there's that split second between satisfaction where suddenly he realizes he's just put a bunch of bees in his mouth. <laughs> oh, man, it's delightful. It is. It's, it's so great. The The expression on his face is just the best. 
my favorite song of the bunch has does nothing for the story, but Heffalumps and Woozles. I love the craziness of Heffalumps and Woozles. I like how wild it is. It's as scary as the movie gets, I think, uh, without ever being too scary for a little kid. Because mm. uh, the, the Heffalumps and Woozles never really do much to Pooh. And we know it's a dream and it's and it's just silliness. Yeah, I enjoy the music on this very much. The rain, rain, rain came down, down, down. I love. And I this time when it goes into that brief minor key for just a minute, it reminds me of H.R. Puff and stuff. You know, I, and I, there's just this moment where I'm like, what does that sound like to me? And I kept listening to it over and over. And I was like, it's H.R. Puff and stuff. That's what it reminds me of. And of course, it's 1977. And so, I mean, it's contemporary with that. So it's kind of fun. So if you want to take a look at H.R. Puff and stuff and talk to me about it and see if I'm wrong, that'd be good. But wonderful thing about Tiggers was a song that I has always been in my head, especially when I'm cleaning. Yep. <laughs> T- the Tigger song want- is great. Uh, and it's, it's great. I think it's probably the right after like Winnie the Pooh song, the song that most people know from this movie. Oh, for sure. All right. Protagonist problems. Every, every, most every week we look at Disney films and talk about protagonist issues. And in this film, because it is a collective, we do see some shifting of the protagonist. So is... Pooh, the protagonist or the antagonist to all the friends in Pooh Corner? Who we got for protagonist? What do you think, Larry? I think it's supposed to be Pooh for the most part. Uh, Christopher Robin's not around enough. And, and uh, you know, in the book, it's supposed to be Pooh also. But I think as the movie continues, Rabbit and Tigger take over the movie and it becomes less about Pooh and more about them. And and I would I would almost say that the handoff here is it's Pooh to rabbit when rabbit tries to debounce tigger and then when tigger in the snowy day with with rue it it becomes tigger's story and tigger becomes the protagonist there so they're almost doing a relay race before bringing it back around to winnie the pooh and, and christopher robin again interesting for me i think it's it i honestly think it is christopher robin and i and i say that because again of that opening line where they announce or where the narrator says you know this is you know, Christopher Robbins essentially says this is Christopher Robbins' imagination. This is him playing. And so to me, he is the protagonist for everything that unfolds and kind of the linking bridge between it all. And in support of that, Richard, I'll throw out that the person who's, who we focus on changing at the end, we talk about how a protagonist is supposed to change and grow, and Pooh doesn't really. But now Christopher Robin is realizing he's going to be playing less with his dolls because he's going to be going to school. And that somehow over the course of this movie, he has transitioned. Have we seen that transition? I don't know, but is it implied Tigger is no longer bouncing thoughtlessly anymore? He realizes that bouncing is a privilege, not a right. Rabbit realizes that you have to accept people for who they are. Are all of those character growths Christopher really belonging to Christopher Robin? I could make that argument. I wouldn't mark it wrong on a test. <laughs> um, I I think, too, I think, again, I think Piglet plays a, a protagonist role at some point especially when his house is underwater and all these things are happening on the, in the Wednesday segment. I think that's that's Piglet's chance to really shine 
It's so funny. It's so funny. Now, when we were trying to call you for this, we were like, oh, we should call him on Wednesday because <laughs> that would be appropriate. All right. But I think we all agree that we do end with Winnie the Pooh as a full circle. And and Richard, thinking about what Richard said, I think that Christopher Robin does know that Pooh Poo Corner and Hundred Acre Wood is always going to be the safe space for him, no matter what he does in his in his life. He can always go back. All right, let's talk about themes quickly. What kind of themes do we see in this movie? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with community on this one. I'm gonna go that we've got a collection of characters, all of whom together are better than they are separately. And that, you know, if we if we were to remove any one of them, they would be lessened by it. They they just they they would feel that loss more. And there's there's something about for every for every, you know, to quote the sword and the stone, to and fro, high and low, up and down, all around. For every Tigger's boundless enthusiasm, it's balanced out by by Eeyore's pessimism. For for all of like Rabbit's practical planning, there's a Pooh Bear who just does what he does in the moment. <laughs> right. You know, you know, they right. they're, they're all call and response to each other, and and better than the sum of their parts. Agree. I mean, sorry, the sum of parts is better better than the individuals is what I want. Strike that, reverse it. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Richard, what do you think about the? I think for me, you know what kind of an overarching thing is is this idea of the importance of play and the importance of creativity you know because again you have Christopher Robin who you know even even using Larry's kind of inside out comparison who is learning how to live life through this play and through these dolls and through this imagination of his and I, I just he's becoming hopefully a better human being because of his time in the hundred acre wood. And he can always go back to this creativity and this play, even though he's now growing up and it won't be a regular part of his life anymore. Mm. I think that's brilliant. I also think that Larry, you missed an opportunity to give your favorite theme here, which is redemptive love. (laughs) That was not a, that was not a missed opportunity. (laughs) I think this movie is about redemptive These love. These immoral and monsters are incapable of love. <laughs> but I also think an, another theme I think is friendship too. Yes, this is friendship about and love. love. No, I, I I agree with you. I was I was <laughs> I was trying to retire that bit a little quietly, but uh, no, redemptive love. Ah, redemptive love always. Okay, it's pitch time. So there's been a whole lot done with the Winnie the Pooh source material. There's the Heffalump movie, the Tigger movie, Piglet's Big Movie, the Christopher Robin live action, countless TV, and just, you know, small direct-to-video. What might we do with this story? So we have prequel, sequel, remake, or series. And Richard, this is the little parlor game that we play every week. And um, well, I think we know that Larry wants the Kanga Tigger love story. <laughs> That's not my pitch. That's not my pitch. That's 
That's just the romantic in me. <laughs> uh, what is your pitch, Larry? So my pitch is we're going to focus on a character who's mentioned in this movie, but who we never see. And I think I think this character has tremendous potential. Piglet speaks of his adventuring great-grandfather, Trespasser's Will, also known as T.W., but that never really comes up again. And what I want is the story of Trespasser's Will, but I, w- I want you to imagine him visually as Piglet, dressed like Indiana Jones with five o'clock shadow <laughs> punching Nazis. I want, I want the adventures of Trespassers it. Williams and his catchphrase is still, Oh, dear, but he kicks <laughs> butt and takes names. It is Piglet as an action adventure hero. That is my I pitch. Love it. I want that movie. All right. Richard, do you have a pitch? Oh, I'm trying to think, you know, I, even though I know, obviously, we've had a Christopher Robin live action film, you know, I do think that lack of development of Christopher Robin during this time is something that I would like to see really, really explored more. I'd like to know about Christopher Robin as a child. I want I want to see that creativity and the learning and what drew him to create this hundred acre wood that would enchant me and i unfortunately do picture it being british because it would be a very talky dialogue heavy film and but mm-hmm. i like I, I tend to like british family films so that would work for me that works i love it um sort of in the vein of like a paddington or yeah exactly which is yeah. we all know one of my favorite films. I know. <laughs> I know that about you. Maybe our audience doesn't know, but I know that about you. I my pitch is the Eeyore movie. So I think everybody's had their own movie. I think Eeyore Eeyore needs a movie. I think he is I think we see him come from a family that is super positive and very high energy and he never belonged to them. And so he ran away to the Hundred Acre Wood. And this family is worried for him and they are going to try to find him back because they feel like they've wronged him in some way. And at the same time, can they figure out a way to, you know, understand him and can he understand them? Or maybe he goes back to find his roots. I don't know. I love this, Andy. Uh, and, And if they're super if they're super positive, I would love it if they all bounced like Tigger and Tigger was like, these guys are great. Well, uh, what's the problem? What's, what's the your problem, problem with them? We don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because no one in the Hundred Acre Wood can see what the problem is. I have this image of like Rabbit looking out to his garden and there's a bunch of Eeyores and Tigger bouncing around in there. And, and like the expression on Rabbit's face being like, oh, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I think that exactly. would be great. I think that's brilliant. This is you guys. This has been so much that fun. That would be we an amazing. What tale? Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. And on that note, we've had a good time laughing today. Richard, where can where can people find you and your work? You can find my work all over the place. No, I am. My film journalism is at theindependentcritic.com. You can find out more about my activism at tendernesstour.com and uh, obviously through most of your social media outlets um, under my name, Richard Probst, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And uh, I have no boundaries, so feel free to add me. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. All right. So next week's episode, Larry picked this one. And I got to tell you guys, I'm a little kind of like this is outside my comfort zone, but I'm going to I'm going to push through it. Larry, tell us. Tell us about it. Next week, we are doing DuckTales Treasure of the Golden Suns. But I want to caution you. If you go to Disney Plus, you will see DuckTales Treasure of the Golden Lamp or the Magic Lamp. Do not watch that one. <laughs> that is that is different. What you actually want to do is you want to find the original, I believe it's 1987 DuckTales series, and watch the first five episodes, which is they aired as a two-hour block on, on TV when they first aired. So if this doesn't open with Scrooge swimming in his money bin and uh, adopting Huey, Dewey, and Louie. If they're you are dead, watching the wrong film, watching- as I did earlier in the week. <laughs> okay, and we're gonna be and and I think honestly for best viewing, if you're gonna watch along with us, I would say watch one episode a day for five days, uh, because really it's five TV episodes, and we're gonna be discussing it as it, we're opening up the world of television, how you create a show engine, how you create a TV show pilot and ah, engine very that will fun. tell a story. And I think we'll get a good conversation out of that. Awesome. All right. So Richard, we enjoyed having you. It's been, a, it's always a treat to talk to you, but it's always and super, always a treat to talk to you about movies, especially this one. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciated the opportunity and the conversation and of course the debate. <laughs> And the poo attacks. That's right. (laughs) Fans, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter at at Andy Redmine and at Larry Brenner 6. And should you have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, TTFN. Ta-ta for now.